All right, the book of John chapter 11. <clears throat> we are still climbing up to the really the apex of this wonderful miracle that our Lord is going to do with the express purposes of teaching us something about the Lord. And in teaching us something about the Lord, we are not only to know it, we are to believe it. And when we are believing that, then we're transformed into His glorious image. We're going to read John 11, uh, verses 17 through 29. Then when Jesus came, He found that He had laid in the grave four days already. Now Bethany was nigh or near... Jerusalem, about 15 furlongs off, and that's about just under two miles. So it's about two miles away. Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. But Mary sat still in the house. Then said Martha unto Jesus, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother had not died. But I know that even now, whatsoever you will ask of God, God will give it you. Jesus said unto her, Your brother shall rise again. Martha said unto him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me, or into me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said unto him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, which should come into the world. And when she had so said, she went her way and called Mary, her sister, secretively, saying, The Master is come and calls for you. And as soon as she heard that, she arose quickly and came unto him. This is really a most unusual chapter. But one of the first things that we come to a decisive conclusion on is that all the events in this chapter are an expression of God's love. It is His love to Lazarus. And it is His love to Mary and Martha. And it's the love that He's expressing to His people. That He says unto those servants, in verse 4, that when Jesus heard that He who you love is sick, sick, Jesus said, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God in order that the Son of God might be glorified thereby. The answer, those messengers go back and they say, at some point they say, the Master says, this sickness is not unto death. But the problem is, is that what had happened? He had died. And so what we have here is a perplexity. Not a perplexity in the mind of our Lord, but a perplexity in believing people. Mary, Martha, the messengers, Lazarus, they all are believing people. 
And folks, I just want to let you know emphatically that there are going to be providences or circumstances that enter into your life that are going to be perplexing. What do you mean I have this promise, but it looks like the promise has not happened? This is similar to Abraham, who's given the promise of his son Isaac. He's a child of promise, the Bible calls him. And yet the word of the Lord comes to Abraham, and he tells Abraham to go up on the mountain and do what with this child of promise? Offer him up as sacrifice. Well, I have this word of the Lord to do this, and I have this word of the Lord that through Isaac shall thy seed be called. This is a perplexity. And Abraham pondered that perplexity and came to the conclusion that even if he laid his hand on his son and slew him, then the only way that through Isaac shall thy seed be called is if God raised him from the what? Raised him from the dead. That, that is a marvelous theological conclusion about God. He didn't doubt that God had said those two things that he was in perplexity about. And he comes to this conclusion. And it is interesting that with Abraham, the conclusion was this, that God is resurrection and life. Is that not correct? God will raise him from the dead. And here Jesus Christ himself is proceeding to go back into Judea, proceeding to go through Jerusalem to Bethany, and the disciples are concerned about that because of late the Jews have been trying to kill him. And the very first thing that he reminds them of, he's not teaching them this, but he's reminding them of this. He's already taught in this. He, he reminds them that they could be safely guided through any danger by the light of God's word. And it was God's word in human flesh that was standing there right before them, right? If a man walks in the day, he doesn't stumble because he sees the light of the world. But if a man walks at the night, he stumbles not because there's only a moon, but because there is no light where? In him. But there is light in Christ. Because he is the word made flesh. And so therefore, they could be safely guided by the light of that word. And folks, we can be safely guided by the light of his word. Though there may be theological conflict and perplexity in our heart, though we may not understand the providences of this life, which are so difficult to understand, we do have a sure rock and we do have a sure light even in this dark world. Now folks, what is happening here? I'm just going to give you a little chronology here. What is happening here is that Jesus is outside of Judea when the messengers come. 
He's outside Judea. He gets the message. And he stays outside Judea how many days? Two days. He delays going back to Judea for two days. At the end of those two days, he and his disciples enter into Judea somewhere around the vicinity of Jerusalem. And the reason why we know that is because John gives to us in verse 18 how far what city was from Bethany? Jerusalem. So he goes back, he enters into Jerusalem or in the Jerusalem area. He's about less than two miles. And when he's less than two miles away from Mary and Martha, Martha hears that he's coming. And you would have heard that, right? Because everywhere where Jesus went, there were crowds. And when she hears that he's coming, Martha immediately gets up from Bethany. She's in Bethany. She immediately gets up and leaves Bethany to go meet him. It's about how many a mile walk? About two miles. And she does meet him. And they have this conversation that we're talking about right now. At the end of this conversation, Martha leaves to go get who? Mary. But Jesus stays outside of Bethany. Mary then arrives where Jesus is at and he, had, he has words with Mary. At that point, Jesus and Mary depart for the tomb of Lazarus. Who's at the tomb of Lazarus? Martha. Martha is there at the tomb. And it is at that tomb that Jesus says, Lazarus come forth. So you kind of got that chronology there. There's actually two points of delay here. Two days outside of Judea and just a little while outside of Bethany. The purpose of this miracle is to strengthen the faith of believers. We see that in verse 15. He tells those disciples, I am glad for your sakes that I was not there to the intent that you may believe. Now, they were already believers, were they not? They had already been justified by faith in Christ that was standing right before them. But just like them and just like us, we need our faith to be strengthened. And it will be that way all the way until we see Him. Are you being strengthened in your faith as we go through this chapter. Hopefully you're just not reading it as a once upon a time story or some fact like you could read about George Washington 
I know he didn't chop down the cherry tree, but George Washington chopping down the cherry tree, oh, okay, that's nice, but it doesn't have any impact on my life. This has everything to do with our life. Everything. And so what Jesus begins to do, first of all, is he begins to give them comfort. We'll see that in verses 17 through 20. <coughs> <coughs> When Mary said, Martha says, verse 20, then Martha, excuse me, verse 19, many of the Jews came to Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him, but Mary sat still in the house. We'll see again this comfort when we get to the tomb. In verse <clears throat> 20, in verse 31, the Jews then which were with her in the house and comforted her when they saw Mary that she rose up hastily and went out, followed her, saying she's going to the grave to pray. Folks, the very first thing that people need when they suffer a loss like this is comfort. Now, in our nation and in our culture today, we try not to do that in two ways. Number one, we try to get the person who is in sorrow to be dismissive of the situation. We try to turn it quickly. We try to turn it from a time of grief and sorrow to almost a celebration type of event. In fact, now we don't have funerals, right? We have celebrations. This is this culture's attempt to try to remove what we're uncomfortable with and that sorrow and grief. And we certainly, because of that, don't feel like we're very qualified to be able to go to someone else and give them comfort when they're grieving. We don't want to give them comfort. We want them to stop what? Grieving. Stop grieving. But folks, it is true religion to provide comfort one to another. Not only is it true religion, but it's also natural. Fallen people have this type of natural affection in them. And if we want to just put on top of that, it is loving to the person that you are trying to comfort to come alongside of them. Now follow me. Not to whisper in their ear, don't be sorrowful, be happy. But to come alongside of them and listen to what Romans 14 says and weep with those who weep. Did we hear that? Not only are we uncomfortable with other people having intense grief and sorrow, we ourselves don't want it. And because we don't want it, 
we find ourselves saying, I've said it before, you've said it before, well, I just don't know what to do, I just don't know what to say, and so we kind of back off and stay away. Folks, it's not so much, in many cases, what you say to the one that is bereaved. It's just being there. Jesus, later on in this chapter, is going to weep with those who weep. And when Jesus weeps, what do the people say? Oh, how He loved Him. Do you hear that? You don't have to say anything, just a presence and a person knowing that you are weeping, it may not be literal tears, but that you are weeping with them, communicates something to people. It communicates that you what? You love them. And folks, Mary and Martha had all kinds of people around them. We read it in verse 19. Many of the Jews came to Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. And folks, I think it's safe for us to assume that the many who were coming to comfort them were not all believing people. In fact, some of them later on in this chapter are going to actually see Lazarus rose from the dead and it's going to say many of the Jews believed. The Lord has designed comfort to come through people. A text message is good you being there is better. Sending an email is good, but being there is better. You say, well, I'm, I'm going to drive 20 or 30 minutes and I'm only going to be there like 5 or 10 minutes. Being there is better. Often I've had people who are having serious surgeries they're in the hospital. They're going to have a serious surgery. I go visit them. My wife and I go visit them. And they will tell me, you're the only ones from the church that stopped by to visit. And in many cases, they might get phone calls. Phone calls are better than text and email. But it's just not the same. Now, if all you can do, if all you can do is phone call, then phone call. But I want to tell you something that when my wife and I went down and saw our sister in South Carolina, and we came into there, there was there was a comfort and a brightness and a joy just being there. Did it take time? Did it take money? Did it take time out of our day? Yes. But what a gift. What a gift. And folks, I think all of us, I don't think any of us are perfect in this aspect. We all can improve with this. We need 
to weep with those who are weep. And folks, if unbelieving people can do this, how much more believing people? How much more Christians to be able to do this? Why is that? Because believing people can go beyond just giving basic comfort. We can actually give them grace to help in time of their need. We can actually take our Bibles or with our mouths communicate the promises of God to the one that is in sorrow. Not to say to them, look, here's a promise of God, just stop crying. No, to give them the promise of God and let that promise strengthen them in their inner man. We can tell them about unseen realities. Like verse 23, Jesus said unto her, Your brother shall rise again. He's ministering grace, is He not? He's seeking to give her comfort. She picked up right on it. Well, I know at the end day, we'll all stand before you. But what He did was, is He tried to turn her eyes from the providential circumstances that are on earth to what God is going to do in the future, and in this case, in the present. It's an amazing situation. And folks, I think we need to remember that not only is he saying this to Martha, not only is he trying to comfort her, but we tend to forget there's other people there also. Like the disciples. They would have been what? Hearing this. They too were probably wondering what in the world is Jesus going to do? They themselves were probably perplexed with this situation. Well, he's not going to die, but he died, and now we're going to go there. And they probably were sitting around like Martha and Mary trying to decide how do you reconcile all this? Now, folks, Mary had that same problem. And so did Martha. Note Martha's attempt to understand Jesus' loving message through the messengers. She says in verse 21, Lord, if you'd have been here, my brother had not died. But I know that even now, whatsoever you will ask of God, God will give it you. That was her attempt at this reconciliation. Look further on down in the chapter. Look at verse 32 when Mary shows up. Then when Mary was come where Jesus was and saw Him, she fell down at His feet saying unto Him, Lord, if You'd have been here, my brother had not died. She says the exact same thing her sister said, which meant they had been what? They had been talking about this. 
They'd been trying to reconcile this and what they knew about God. What, what, what's He going to do? Why did He delay? What's happening? And they came to the conclusion that if Jesus had bodily been present before Lazarus died, He would have what? He would have healed him. Everybody see that? Martha says, verse 21, Lord, if You would have been here, my brother would not have died. Now folks, I want to ask you a question. Did Jesus have to be there to heal Lazarus? You remember the centurion? He says, I'm not worthy for you to come place your feet in my house. Jesus says, go. Your servant's healed. And when he got back, he found he was what? He was healed. At the exact moment when Jesus gave the word. Folks, Jesus could have healed Lazarus outside of Judea. But he didn't. And Lazarus what? Lazarus died. Now Mary responds to this with a very interesting statement in verse 22. Martha says, but I know that even when, right now, I know that even now, <clears throat> whatsoever you will ask of God, God will give it you. Now, the question is, what does she mean when she says this? What do you think she meant when she said this? Well, there's two viewpoints and understandings of what she meant. Let's see which one you landed on. Because hopefully when I asked you what did she meant, you had an answer. Here's one viewpoint. That when Martha said this, Martha was communicating to Jesus her assurance that Jesus was going to raise Lazarus from the dead. In other words, it would read something like this. <clears throat> Lord, if you'd have been here, you would have healed him. But, I know that whatever you asked of God, He will answer you even up to the, res the rising up of my brother. That's one understanding. Here's the other understanding. That what Martha was responding was a confidence concerning the prayer life of Christ. In other words, even though Jesus had not arrived in time to help, Martha still believed that God answers His prayers.
And the very fact that Jesus began to assure her and strengthen her faith, even now, even at this point, I still believe, Jesus, that God answers every one of your what? Every one of your prayers. In other words, Martha had not lost assurance that He was still the Messiah. So there, there's your two choices. I'm not going to ask her to raise her hands, but I'm just going to, just going to ask. Did you pick the first one? <clears throat> Did you pick the second one? Well, <clears throat> I don't think that Martha was expressing an assurance that Jesus was going to raise her brother from the dead. I do think that what she was telling Jesus was, I may not understand everything that you said, but I still believe God answers your prayers and I still have not lost my assurance that you are the Messiah. In fact, she's going to say that later on, isn't she? She's going to say down in verse 27, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who should come into the world. That's a great confession. Why do I not believe that she was saying, now I know if you ask God that you would raise my brother from the dead even though he's dead? Well, two reasons. One, when Jesus says your brother shall rise again, she didn't say, oh good. She said, well, yeah, he'll rise again when? At the last day. That's not now. That's far off in the future. And not only that, but when Jesus tells Martha to remove the stone, did Martha say, yes, I knew he was going to do it? No, she actually contradicted the Lord. And said, Lord, don't you know that by this time his body is decaying? So folks, Martha's not giving this expression, oh, I know that God answers your prayers and I'm really asking you to raise my brother from the dead because this was not in her mind. This all had to deal with the fact that Jesus said, your brother shall rise again, uh, your brother shall not die, but shall live this is for the glory of God, and, it, and he died. And Mary's dealing with the very same thing. And so Martha's deficient understanding, just like ours, her deficient understanding <clears throat> caused her to respond to Jesus in verse 23. <clears throat> Jesus' statement, your brother shall rise again. She responds with <clears throat> a statement, with a doctrinal statement. I know <clears throat> that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. 
And folks, why do I say that? Why do I say she responded with a doctrinal statement? Was it bad that she responded with this? No, not at all. But folks, the truth is, is that you and I know more doctrine than we live out. Doctrine has to go from just our acknowledgement of it to its application now into this world. She didn't say anything wrong. Christ didn't rebuke her for saying that. He didn't even really give her any information until he starts talking more about himself. And folks, when somebody reads at a graveside or maybe gives to you 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 concerning the snatching away of the saints, and Paul writes to that church that those words, that revelation was intended to comfort them. Don't speak it as if it's just a doctrinal statement. Speak it because you believe it. And to the bereaved, don't receive it as a doctrinal statement. Receive it because you really what? Believe it. And when you really receive it and believe it, you'll receive the strengthening that comes from it. What is the Lord's response to this doctrinal statement? It is perhaps the most deep and the most encouraging words that Jesus spoke. Verse 25, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me or into me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever lives and believes in me shall never die. And he just asked Martha, do you believe what I'm saying? And of course Martha says yes. But did she believe it like she ought to believe it? (laughs) No. Folks, Jesus' message to Martha and then to Mary and to the disciples that were surrounding them, here is the point that we're supposed to get. That Jesus is the resurrection. And that Jesus is the life. John's already spoken to you about Jesus being the light of the world. He's already spoken to you that in Him was life, and the life was light of men. John chapter 1. So here we have light and we have life and now we have resurrection. And what Jesus is saying here in verse 25 is that He is these things, not that He just does these things. It's not just that I give life. It's not that I just give light. It's not just that I resurrect people. 
but I am light, and I am life, and I am resurrection. And folks, what he's communicating to us is this. Light, life, and resurrection are only characteristic of one person. God. Do we hear that? What is He communicating? How is He seeking to strengthen our faith? He's seeking to strengthen our faith that He really is the Son of God. And He really is God in human flesh on earth. Because this is hard for us to believe. Doubts flood our mind, especially when there's theological perplexity that's going on. I am resurrection. I am life. I am the light. All of those things are distinct characteristics and attributes of the Holy One. God Himself. And what He is saying here in verse 25 is this, if any person, if anyone believes into Me, though he were dead, meaning, dead how? Dead in trespasses and sins. Even though he were dead, yet he shall live. Everybody see that? What's the key from going from dead in trespasses and sins to life? Believing into Christ. That's what is referring to. And folks, because of that, he goes on and says, verse 26, if anyone who is living, you have life, and you are believing into Him, you will never what? You will never die. And this is referring to the second death. You will never die. And of course the implication is, is that people who are outside of Christ, they die in their sins, and they will experience the second what? the second death. But people who have acknowledged their deadness and they come to Christ in repentance and faith, full persuasion that He is who He said that He is. And in believing into Him, you live. You live unto God. And you will never, no never, experience that second death. What a gift. What a statement. Could you imagine your neighbor coming to you and say, I'm resurrection in the life. If you would just believe in me, you could live 
and never die. And what would you say to that person? Get out of my house. But folks, this man, Jesus the Messiah, this man, the promised King, this man, the promised seed of the woman, this man who came as the seed of the woman to destroy the head of the serpent and his seed, that man, his name is Jesus of Nazareth. He is the Son of God. And if you would be fully persuaded into Him, you would live also. What an amazing statement. And folks, at this point, when you read this, what John intends for you to see is His glory. The beginning of this book says that John wrote this book because they had beheld His glory. The glory as of the only begotten of God, full of grace and truth. He writes this book so that you might know Him and you might see and behold that glory through the pages of these words. And Mary and Martha are actually going to see the glory even more magnificent when they see Lazarus come forth out of that tomb. But here, they are to believe His words, just like we are to believe His words. And folks, one day, when the voice of God that sounds like a trumpet, trumpets from heaven, and the dead in Christ shall rise, when you see Him, you will see greater glory than what you see in the pages of your Bible today. The very essence of God is that God alone can reverse death to life. Man reversed life to death, but only God can reverse death to life. And it only occurs when we are in Christ. Why is this? Because, folks, if, if Jesus Christ is the life, that means there's no death in Him. If there's no death in Him, then anyone who believes into Him can never what? Can never die because God can't die. God is light. We're called children of the light. God is life. No man comes to the Father except by me. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the, I'm the life. Don't you believe that? And I am resurrection. The wages of sin is death. And there is no death and there is no sin and there is no corruption in Him. And if you are in Him, you live. And if you're in Him, not only do you live, but your body is guaranteed a resurrection. Because you have been spiritually resurrected. And one day our bodies will be planted in the dirt and God will call forth those bodies 
And like a seed that dies in the soil, out from that seed will come a glorified body that looks like you, has continuity with you, but has certain things not like your old body. Your old body will never, excuse me, your new glorified body will never have another doctor checkup. You will never have on your calendar appointments upon appointments. You will never have to worry that one day you're going to wake up and feel bad and you're going to go to the doctor and they're going to say, like a brother, this happened to a brother. He thought he had a cough. He thought he had a type of strep. He goes to the doctor. They do the strep thing. They take x-rays of his lungs. No problem, right? Except after the x-ray, they said, Dear sir, you need to go to the emergency room right now. You've got a huge tumor in your lungs. And he finds out within 24 hours that he had less than three or four months to live. No fear of that anymore. This is what our Lord is promising. And folks, Martha didn't really comprehend what we're comprehending. She didn't have those words written down on a piece of paper so that she could say, excuse me, Lord, let me go to the house and let me look at these words. They were just spoken to her right then. But I am sure that Martha, and is it this characteristic of Martha, probably was not fully engaging because she is distracted. If you'd have been here, he wouldn't have what? He wouldn't have died. Well, he'll live again. Okay. In days, he'll live again. I'm the life in the resurrection. Okay. Do you believe this? Well, verse 28, excuse me, verse 27. Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, which should come into the world. Well, that's a great thing to believe. <laughs> but to believe that he's going to walk a couple of miles to that tomb. He's going to tell to Martha, command the men to roll away the stone. To know that He really is resurrection and life. And that whatever He asked of the Father, God would do it for Him. Well, that's a different ballgame. But folks, we need to believe that. We need to really have in our souls a greater and greater glorious understanding of who Jesus is. This is our comfort. Not a vacation, although vacations are great. We all love vacations. We all wish we had more of them. But what really strengthens a believer is knowing who Jesus is and believing on that with all your heart. And folks, it is instructive that Martha, of course, 
didn't really understand everything that Jesus told her. And when you don't really understand, you do sometimes what she did. She fell back on what she knew already. She knew that this man standing before her is Lord of Lords. That He is the promised Messiah, the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophets and of the Abrahamic covenant. And that that promise of a person was to enter into this world and that she does believe that He is the One. And brethren, sometimes that's true with us. Sometimes we may not fully understand what's preached. We may not fully understand our circumstances. We may not fully understand the providences of this life. We may be reading our Bibles and we may not understand passages as they come together. But what you do know, you've got to rest on that. And not allow the evil one to whisper in your ear and cast seeds of doubt in your heart. You've got to be fully persuaded of what you already know. That's a glory, isn't it? And be assured that Christ is going to take you to another glory. And you will understand in the future, in this case, in just a few hours, what He really means when He says, I am the life and I am resurrection. Let's go to our Lord in prayer.